Um, thank you everybody for being here. Um, I'm going to stand a bit far back from this mic and project. I'm also probably going to pace a little bit, so if you can't hear me, just let me know. Um, this mic has ridiculously good pickup, so I don't think it'll be a problem. Um, so the conversation that we're going to be having today is uh, titled this uh, SFF and STS, um, Teaching Science, Technology, and Society by a Pop Culture. Um, I'm using the term SFF to stand for science fiction and fantasy, but we're going to be looking at pop culture more broadly um, because ultimately, though science fiction and fantasy have some of the most obvious entrees into discussions of STS and how making, doing, uh, culture, society uh, can influence technology and the history of fictional worlds can uh, help students understand the worlds that they're currently living. Uh, Pop culture more generally is going to tie into the things that students are going to care about in a way that I think is going to be kind of pertinent to what we're going to be talking about today. So why we are doing this? Why are we teaching it with science fiction and fantasy? Why does this matter? I've been teaching for uh, off and on for 13 years. Um, I've been teaching uh, philosophy, I've been teaching religious studies, I've been teaching science, technology, and society, um, and I've been coming to understand as I've gone through my teaching process that not only do I like pop culture, uh, my students do, uh, because they're people and they're embedded in culture, so that's kind of shocking, I guess. Um, <laughs> but what I've found is that uh, one of the things that makes students care the absolute most about the things that you're teaching them, especially when something can be as dry as logic or uh, can be as uh, perhaps nebulous or unclear at first as, say, engineering cultures, is uh, that if you give them something to latch on to, something that they are already familiar with, they will be more interested in it. If you can show to them at the outset, hey, you've already been doing this, you've already been thinking about this, you've already encountered this, they will feel less reticent to engage with it. Um, you've all already done this. You have made references in your classes if you are teachers, you have in conversations with those you are trying to explain your topics to, made references to shared cultural knowledge. And sometimes if you are teaching people who are far younger than you, you've probably also experienced the shock of having what you thought was a shared cultural milieu uh, fall completely flat. About five years ago, I tried to make a reference to the Matrix to a class of undergrads, and they all gave me blank stares, and I was very sad. <laughs> so, um, what teaching with science fiction and fantasy, what teaching with pop culture uh, as a lens onto STS topics gives us is then not just a way to keep our own uh, cultural references hip and current, but it gives a way for the students that we're talking to to connect their current cultural milieu with the history of a broader culture and to see then how cyclically that broader culture and the science and technology that they have been steeped in over the course of their lives, has been in conversation with each other for longer than they themselves have been alive. How the conversations around science, technology, science fiction, fantasy, the production of media, the consumption of media, the trends in how media gets taken up in culture more broadly, all of these things help shape and be shaped by each other. And if you can show them that, 
those students who otherwise might not have been taking this class, if it's an intro course or a second level course that they just need to fill for uh, a requirement, those are the students you can kind of grab in and say, no, this is something that actually matters to you. This is something that is of interest to you already. And here's where you can find the thing that you already care about within it. Here I have uh, pictures of a few of the most seminal science fiction and fantasy creators of the 20th and 21st century. We have, uh, going clockwise from uh, top left, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, Octavia Butler, uh, Samuel Delaney, Missy Elliott, and Janelle Monet. If you can show a student the arc from here to here, and from here to Lizzo, <laughs> and you can show them how the techniques, the recording industry techniques, the production of video techniques, the ways that these people are making the stories and narratives that they are making are all connected and how they are tied in already to the history and the sociology and the philosophy of technology and science, then you have them. What I'm going to do next is I'm going to go through uh, general intro topics in uh, science, technology, and society, and I'm going to talk about just a few examples that can be used to kind of bring thoughts in, bring students in that they might A, already have familiarity with, and B, um, not be quite familiar with, maybe have heard about, and thus bring them in a little bit further. And then we're going to end um, with a, just a very simple example of how to put this into practice in a class. So the first thing we're going to talk about is field studies and ethnography and its problems. Um, if you want to talk to a student about what it means to, to go out into a culture and experience the culture's uh, context and its creations and its notions of uh, how to navigate and understand the world, what we in a Western mode might call science and technology, then there are three things that occur to me at the top of my mind uh, for being uh, embedded observers. Um, one, because I've been watching it again for I don't know how many at the time, is Farscape. This was a, an Australian American television show that started in the early 2000s. Um, it was created by the Henson Company, that is Brian and Jim Henson's company, uh, in uh, joint collaboration with the Sci-Fi Network. Um, it's about an uh, ostensibly American white male astronaut who gets, uh, through his own foibles, uh, shot into space and placed in a context in which he has absolutely no understanding. And everything that made sense to him no longer does, including the fact of how he got there. Um, he is then forced literally every day of his life to weave himself into a brand new cultural context, to sit, observe, and understand through observation the world around him, or, you know, die. <laughs> so that's kind of an extreme example of someone who must you know, be embedded to learn, make knowledge happen from there. Um, you also have Octavia Butler's uh, Xenogenesis Saga, um, in which the embedded observation goes two ways. You have humans who are embedded in an alien context 
but you have aliens who have been embedded in a human context making observations for quite some time. Um, and we find that out in the course of the first text. And they have been doing so in order to uh, make uh, certain interventions and changes uh, to better, uh, well, for various reasons. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. <laughs> uh, this acts as uh, an opportunity to highlight to students that even while you are uh, embedded and observing, you are not some distant, objective individual. You are, in fact, by very nature of the work you are doing, engaged in an exchange, and that it requires you to be mindful of the exchange that you are engaged in, to be cognizant of the work that you're doing. And then we have Frank Herbert's Dune. Let's talk about problematic ethnography for a moment. <laughs> the idea that happens in Dune is that a messiah figure comes from the stars and then is found to be the leader of these quote-unquote primitive peoples. Um, one of the things that Herbert does well to his credit is that he shows that the quote-unquote primitive peoples are actually better suited to survive and thrive in the landscape in which they exist uh, than any outside observer ever could be, and the external observer from the stars uh, has to be guided very carefully uh, by the person who has the most time, which unfortunately happens to be a woman in this context. She does the uh, kind of low-level labor of bringing this person up to speed so he doesn't trip on his own feet and die in the desert. Um, but you know, the, the failure on this, the, the problematic aspect of ethnography that shows up here is that he becomes uh, no longer someone who, uh, it is impossible for him to remain merely an observer. He has to, in fact, become uh, this active participant, but that active participation very quickly becomes an act of colonialization. Um, it becomes uh, an effect of colonialization as we find out exactly why this Messiah story even exists in the first place, and we find out why the family that he is from has been kind of complicit in that act from the beginning. Uh, it takes on these tones of uh, cultures that not only impose their views on other cultures as they come in to observe them, but also then seek to actively, colonially, and imperialistically direct those cultures. Um, Dune has uh, its problems as a text, but those problems can be used to teach and highlight other aspects that we as STS scholars should be mindful of. The social construction of knowledge. When we think about the social construction of knowledge and we think about the uh, ways in which what we know and what we can know is dependent upon the social contexts in which we exist, uh, there are a few instances that I can think of. Um, the show Person of Interest, um, what you know in this series is dependent upon what you know in the world and the context that you have in the world. It starts off as a very kind of baseline police procedural uh, and very quickly opens itself up to uh, being a lot more uh, weird than that. It's a lot more about uh, surveillance and algorithmic knowledge and artificial intelligence. But until you travel through the series of the show, you don't really get a clear view of that. Uh, but as you do, it acts as an object lesson that the social context in which you sit kind of constructs the things that you are capable of knowing and doing within that context. Um, we also have a very recent and probably very well known to your students example, Black Panther, the uh, culture of Wakanda, 
the social context uh, in which Wakanda sits has a vast array of knowledge that is only available to them due to the land, the resources, the background, the history, the social context in which Wakanda has come to be. Um, the knowledge that they have generated, the things that they are capable of knowing, is entirely dependent upon this. And in fact, in many instances, is shown to make no sense to outside observers because they simply don't have the context for understanding it. Uh, when someone who is uh, harmed uh, and they're shot and have, they have a massive spinal injury, um, something that would have been life-threatening to them um, with the context of what they consider to be their very advanced medical knowledge uh, is healed within the matter of about eight hours. Um, that person is shocked and then avaricious to know more about that technology. Uh, can also talk about imperialism in that context in that scene as well, but that's for later. Um, and then there is the Broken Earth trilogy. Um, it was hard for me not to put N.K. Jemisin's The Broken Earth trilogy on every single one of my slides because it is, in all honesty, a perfect text for teaching STS through pop culture. It engages in social construction of knowledge, it engages in cultural history, it engages in indigenous knowledge, it engages in feminist STS, it engages in uh, historical contextualizations of the production of knowledge. You can find actor network theory within this text. It is huge. It is about 2,000 pages and some change long, um, but it is an easy read, and it is extraordinarily well-crafted. Um, it takes place in a very, very distant future at a point in which uh, the Earth has been altered through uh, the machinations of many different things. Um, natural disaster, technology, uh, outside forces of many kinds, inside forces of many kinds. And um, the, the text, the narrative, follows uh, several people's uh, struggle to survive in this context. And what they know, what they learn, what they can do within the Scape, uh, the scope of their world as they try to survive based on who they are and where they're positioned. Actor network theory. If you want to teach kids actor network theory, um, if you want to have them understand it fairly easily, um, there are few texts I can think of that work better for this than the Imperial Rats trilogy by Anne Leckie. Um, it concerns a galactic empire in which the capability of distributing consciousness exists. Uh, and that capability can be applied to either artificial algorithmic machine intelligences or to organic intelligences. Um, algorithmic machine intelligences can have their consciousness distributed over multiple systems, instantiated and networked, or they can have their uh, consciousness instantiated in organic systems with the uh, assistance of a little bit of light cyborging in the brains of quote-unquote volunteer corpses. Um, and so the question of uh, where the line is drawn between and where the power exists between actors, actants, and the network itself becomes very clearly rendered. Um, we also have the Ghost in the Shell trilogy, um, which uh, allows for... Uh, much of the same kind of uh, 
investigation, but through a more uh, human-centered focus. Um, we have the Animatrix, uh, specifically uh, the parts of the Animatrix that concern the AI uprising. And we have the movie Upstream Color, which is the second offering uh, by the director who created Primer, a uh, movie about uh, time travel, and I cannot remember that person's name. Upstream Color concerns um, a specific type of uh, fungus plant and human interrelationship that causes very specific experiences of time and space. Um, indigenous and post-colonial, decolonial STS. Um, Who Fears Death by Nnedi Okorafor concerns a far future Africa. Uh, it is what Nnedi Okorafor has termed African uh, futurism, all one word, African futurism, not Afrofuturism. Afrofuturism is different. Comes out of uh, questions of the African diaspora and the African American experience and response to that diaspora. Both can teach you about visions of the future and technology that gets created in response to having your culture ripped away from you and trying to survive that colonial imposition. History, ontology, and embedded knowledge, um, Iron Man, uh, I mean Iron Man, <laughs> you, you, te you teach, uh, do artifacts have politics with Iron Man, like that's just, those are just obvious to them. Um, but you also have Primer, which again I mentioned earlier, but it's about um, the knowledge that can be embedded in a piece or a tool or a technology that can be surprising to us, um, and it can be about uh, techniques that, are, uh, that have surprising interventions. We also have the anime, 1998 anime Akira, uh, which involves the ways in which knowledge and the production of technology are paired, uh, but have a uh, specific history uh, and a specific uh, embedding that borders on the technologically deterministic. Um, so if you want to teach your students about technological determinism, you can use a cure for that. Um, feminist SES and situated knowledges. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, once again, the fifth season, uh, the Broken Earth trilogy, again, I struggle not to put this on everything. And then uh, Kelly Sudeconic's, uh comic, uh, Bitch Planet. Uh, it's a 12-issue comic. It's about a not-too-distant future in which uh, women are de like delineated into compliant and non-compliant categories. Uh, non-compliant women, if they are uh, uh, kind of uh, irreconcilably non-compliant, uh, are sent off to an all-woman uh, prison in space. And it is uh, about the history and the uh, social context in which that comes to be, but the situated knowledge of what those women in that context then learn and work and understand about the world um, and how it kind of deconstructs this notion of objectivity, these assumptions of what the default perspective on the world are. Um, finally, a simple example of how to put this into practice. This is an extra credit assignment for my students in engineering cultures this year. And this just says, for this extra credit assignment, you can either watch the movie Black Panther, the TV show Farscape, or read one of the following books. Ancillary Justice, uh, the fifth season, and Who Fears Death. Those first two are the first books in the Imperial Rats trilogy and the Broken Earth trilogy, respectively. Um, then, create a study guide and two questions uh, based on what it teaches you about the engineers and engineering culture of these fictional worlds. This extra credit assignment will be due no later than the last day of class. This is just a very basic way of putting into practice, here is something that you might already have been interested in. Here is a way for you to, if you missed an assignment, replace that assignment 
with this information. If I was teaching this class as a whole, if I was teaching pop culture STS, this would be the basic template for the majority of the assignments that these students received, rather than a potential extra credit at the end. Since I'm currently teaching uh, engineering cultures, I have to give them a little bit more of a, of a rigid program. Once again, at the end of the day, this is all about meeting the students where they are, where they want to be, where you want them to be, and bringing all of those together to get them to understand that STS has already been a part of their daily lived experience, and that you have already been experiencing this with them, and finding a way to have that conversation be enjoying, and, you know, enjoyable, engaging, and fun for all of you. So, thanks. All right, thank you, Dean. All right, um, let's just take a, a couple of questions for Damien, and then we'll uh, uh, confirm right now. Yeah. So, um, I, one of the problems I ran into is that they had this very rigid fiction, nonfiction line. Yeah. Where nonfiction are lies, or fiction is lies, <laughs> right, right. and nonfiction is truth. And therefore, other than like one person who had all sorts of other problems in her conceptions of the world, they rejected the whole premise hmm. of me trying to cross those boundaries. And I'm wondering how you get them to engage with that. So, for the most part, I haven't had such a, I haven't had anybody that has such a hardcore divide, or at least not a whole class of anybody who's had that hardcore of a divide between yeah. fiction and nonfiction. But one of the things that is kind of fundamental to um, again, I started as a philosopher uh, by training and then I've moved into STS from there. But one of the things that is kind of like uh, a baseline, you know, aim, if not assumption, that, that sits under this is that um, the nature of the stories that we tell, the narratives that we use to talk about the world, uh, shape the world that we then talk about. And so I think that one of the key things is how you can talk to them and you know you can move Mary Shelley up to the very beginning if you want. And you can talk about the fact that Mary Shelley's work was shaped by the work that her father and mother had been doing, by the cultural context of the people that she had been working with and how that work has then turned into a whole conversation about artificial life, artificial intelligence, what it means to create something. The fact that we use the term frankenfoods in the world, like these things are now because of a story, because of a narrative, because of what those students might consider to be lies. And if you can show them that kind of cyclical uh, connection and how it's never going to be uh, disentangled in a clean and neat way like that, that they're always going to inform each other, then you have at least a starting point. And you can move from there and then they can probably think for themselves of some other examples where you know, stories that they might be familiar with, fiction that they might be familiar with, has come to be part of the wider cultural milieu and directed the conversation about uh, elements of science and engineering that they might be interested in going on to teach and talk about with other students. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of want to add to this conversation um, in the sense that we, we teach a class that does start with uh, Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we follow it up with the Iron Giant. Ooh. Very nicely paired together. Nice. Um, yes. And our entire thesis to these students is this, is that um, we can figure out how our feelings about these stories, and not just kids, our understandings of these stories, then influence design, implementation, policy, decision making, etc. And yet, mm. <laughs> we do this for an entire semester, mm. and we still have, what, like, you know, five or six that still stumble with this, you know, connecting back mm. to the actual real world. So tomorrow morning at the same time, we're going to hope to also have this conversation of, like, 
I don't remember who I saw. <laughs> I think we all want to respond to you. <laughs> yeah. And also, in the interest of time, let's maybe just do two more questions yeah. for Damien so we can make sure um, Marissa gets yes. full time. Exactly. Uh, and then we'll kind of bring it all back together. Yeah. So, two more questions. Kristen, I think you were the first one I saw. And then I don't know your name over here. So. Uh, David Kirby. Thank you. Oh, then we have time for one last one. Who wants to go? <laughs> out of this way. Do you, you have to... I think one of the things that's come up the the uh, until you get to the end and doing the science fiction component is um, and you know Kristen you know this and there's I think someone else in here does literature as well and I'm I'm missing who because I'm very tired but um, there's I mean it's a skill and if a student has never really sat down to do writing work of that type before that's not going to just come out for them. Um, some people might have a, a more of an affinity for it than others, but it's still going to you know, there's still going to have to be a, this process of, of them getting used to it. So I think one of the things that I, I really like the idea that you've laid out there. I, I think that's a really really good plan for, for going about that. Um, I think like if I if I take it up, the one in, the one change I would make is try to work in smaller writing and revising of fiction from the first day and just try to get them to like be doing it throughout and then have that, that you know bigger thing at the end be the product of that. Um, still probably going to turn in a lot of fluff, like you're going to get a lot of fluff from people at the end of it who are just kind of phoning that, that aspect in, but I think you might also maybe spark somebody to want to do that more often on the regular. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's so frustrating. Right, That's so, the yeah, we'll do this more. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>